I'm Dante Gonzalez. This is how to investigate what we think we know. Today, Jasmine Plankert and I will be discussing kids, media, literature, films, TV shows, you name it. Jasmine is discussing her research into anti-racist kids' literature and books. Today, I'll be discussing my research into heterosexuality and how stereotypes of heterosexuality play out in the Toy Story movies. We have a great show ahead of us, so unpack and get settled in. This is Case Study. Okay. Hi, Dante. Hi, Jasmine. How are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm really excited to share our research and just like see how it connects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just keep thinking about, about my research. I came across um, an Instagram filter that was picked which Toy Story character you were or like pick no it was Pixar characters okay. and I kept getting Toy Story characters and I got the prospector and I was like oh, oh no <laughs> and that's so I, oof. your research is on Toy Story like yeah yeah and God. and the prospector in particular has a bit of a, a bit of a pretty controversial moment in the end credits post-credit sequence he has a, a me too moment oh so wow. instagram bestowing upon me this new identity was kind of problematic yeah yeah um, yeah and for me it's been like my research has been more applicable every day as something mm. occurs because just with the recent and continual attacks and clearly racially motivated attacks against yeah. the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities. And then what we've seen with the murder of Dante Wright, George Floyd, Brianna yeah. Taylor, the list keeps going. And so I found that my, re my research like gains relevance every day. So oh, absolutely. I'm excited that we're conversing so we can maybe send a message to people of why it's important to look at media and start with children especially so we can address these larger issues mm -hmm. yeah i think our, our research together kind of brings together very different intersectional pieces mm -hmm. and so i don't directly address race and we don't heterosexuality or gender but together we make something really cool and interesting right and so Dante, I'm curious, could you tell me like a little bit about your research and what you found? Yeah, so what I found, um, or what I was researching initially, was how heterosexuality is portrayed in the Toy Story movies. So in those different relationships in the movies, or, or even just between um, a male and female character, how do they interact and what stereotypes are being played out? And so I used someone else's research, I used their categories of stereotypes to uh -huh. figure out how this happens in the Toy Story movies. And so the, the thing that I did is I, I watched all of the Toy Story movies um, and every time something kind of stereotypical happened with a very specific set of criteria, right. that would be one point. Um, and so that point had to talk about both heterosexuality and how heterosexual relationships courtship happens. Okay. So who's initiating sexual contact? Who's asking who out? Um, how is the sexuality of the person 
showed or portrayed. Um, and so I, I have an example of oh, how I did this. <laughs> um, so in Toy Story 2, mm -hmm. when the toys are going to go rescue Woody, they, um, they drive down the Barbie aisle and okay. all of the toys in the car are male or male presenting. Um, some of them aren't like very specifically male, but they all tend to default towards that. And so they're driving down this Barbie aisle and Mr. Potato Head, he's, uh, he's either driving or in the passenger seat and he sees all these beautiful Barbies partying and he starts chanting, I'm a married spud, I'm a married spud, I'm a married spud. Oh and so God. Ham shoves him aside and says, we'll make room for the single fellas. And so that one instance right. gets three points because Mr. Potato Head does not want to be in a monogamous relationship with his wife. He wants to have mm -hmm. sex with the Barbies. Right. Um, and Ham is glad to be single and not does not want a monogamous relationship because he also wants to have sex with the Barbies. And an, an extra point thrown in, little sprinkles on top, is the fact that they're both so obsessed with having sex with these Barbies that they forget about the mission. And so they're so preoccupied by, by how beautiful these dancing Barbies are that any thought of saving Woody is out of their minds for the minute. Um, so Mr. Potato Head is not worried about being faithful to his wife. He's not worried about saving Woody. He just, he just wants to have sex. Um, and so that one, one instance where they're, they're driving down the Barbie aisle got three whole points. Oh, and there's, there's four Toy Story movies in yeah. the franchise and that those three points, that example of that scene can happen multiple, multiple times. Oh, so many times. And then four times within the franchise. So that's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so the first Toy Story movie got 10 points, which I was kind of surprised by. I thought it would be higher. Um, and then the second one got 16. Wow. So it it 50-ish percent increase. And then the third movie had 30 points. No way. Which is it's just enormous leap. It's literally three times as many as the first one. And you think that as the movies progress and as like social equality progresses, this would go down, right. but it was the opposite. Um, and so the third one got 30 points, but the fourth one was really interesting. It only got two. Okay. Two points where the last one had gotten 30. There's also a difference of like 10 years or so in between the two movies. Right. But that jump was just wild. It Did you find that the difference in the points came from like how vastly different the plots were or like the writing team or just like the expectations from society to hold Disney accountable for that type of stuff? I think it's a combination of all of it. Um, the first three movies, I think were all directed and written by men. They maybe had one woman mm -hmm. writing in the third one, but uh, the fourth one had a lot more mixed of, of people of different gender identities. But Rashida Jones actually helped write the fourth one. And I think she left towards the end because of how she was being treated throughout the process and how they treated women specifically. So it's not, I'm, I'm not gonna say that the fourth movie is like a spectacular feminist movie where everything is just perfect and it's such a radical film. But it did decrease by a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it's a better movie, but it's a lot less heterosexist. 
Interesting. And so did you find that there were certain characters um, within Toy Story that often contributed to these points? Like you mentioned. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think the, okay, the top character was actually Buzz, which I did not expect because Buzz doesn't actually have a significant other, like uh, explicitly throughout mm-hmm. the films. He's interested in Jesse most of the time, okay. but he, he acted on those interests a lot, but it was never official, like we are together. Right. Um, and then after him comes Mr. and then Mrs. Potato Head. So Buzz had 15 overall points. Mr. Potato Head had 11. So he's coming in a, in a close second there. That's so curious and or interesting. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so like with your research with um, the Toy Story franchise, will you be more um, cognizant of other children's movies in the future just because Absolutely. Of- interesting yeah yeah especially re-watching those old films where it's like wow like all that nostalgia that comes mm-hmm. up with it and it's like wow that was such an amazing movie and then I re-watch it like I was re-watching Atlantis the other day and I start I start noticing these things of right. of how how the the male characters in particular are portrayed mm-hmm. because they're the ones who usually have the most points so like, how does Milo in Atlantis, how does he interact with Kita, who's mm-hmm. someone that he's sexually and romantically interested in? And he's a very divergent character because he chooses monogamy so hard that he chooses not to leave Atlantis. Wow. He's not worried about any other women. And he's very, very much so a monogamous character in, in that franchise. But then how is he portrayed versus like characters like Mole who are like right. side characters. And I'm finding that it's mostly the side characters and it's the comic relief mm-hmm. that tends to get the most points because yeah. comedy usually comes from either defying or making fun of stereotypes, including a lot of ones about heterosexuality, which is where, which is why Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head have so many because most of right. their most of their points are from jokes. Exactly. What's so interesting about children's movies is absolutely they need to be um, intriguing to children, but they need to be just Mm -hmm. as intriguing and capturing for the adults who are taking the movie or will buy that DVD. And so a lot of those jokes that play on stereotypes are targeted towards the adult, Mm -hmm. but then they have they have consequences for the children who grow up thinking those jokes are okay. <laughs> and yeah. Or, or they start playing out those jokes and thinking this is how people act. Um, yeah, it's a whole separate conversation about how rewatching those early toy movies, how many inappropriate jokes about sex were made, which is so funny considering that the toys definitely don't have genitalia. They're definitely yeah. plastic. But it's <laughs> it's just that that social interaction and that that performance of gender and sexuality mm-hmm. that's so persistent and, and so stereotyped. Now I am curious about in your research how how those stereotypes and, and jokes and things, how they impact children in, in a different sort of context. Yeah, so for those who don't know, my research was how we know that children possess racial biases and then ultimately how media 
and specifically children's literature is either contributing to those or can correct them. And so before getting into the science to answer your question, like absolutely, like the jokes, the portrayal of mm -hmm. characters via illustrations, their dialogue, mm -hmm. um, how they're portrayed as either the good guy or the villain based on their ah. skin color absolutely leaves an impact on these children. And that's why certain authors and resource platforms are so adamant about parents looking at a book before giving it to their child and say, please evaluate this to make sure these are the messages that you want to send to your child. And so to start my research, I wanted to look at the science behind how we know that children possess biases. And so actually, psychologist Giselle Enzuris has proposed the other race effect, which is a phenomenon which describes how children form racial preferences from young ages. So by six months old, children can either increase their visual scanning for people of their own race or decrease visual scanning of people for other races if they weren't exposed to a variety of different people in those six months. And so her finding is important because it shows that lack of exposure to diversity in either like interpersonal uh, connections or in media can create visual preferences, but they can be easily reversed. And that's that's the most important thing is that they can be easily reversed from exposure to either photos or videos of people and children from other races. And of course it takes longer for however old the child is, if they're older, it's gonna take a longer period of exposure to reverse this visual preference. Um, but then researcher Danielle Perchick took it one step further and said, okay, let me see how children who possess these preferences actually act on them. And so when she asked a group of um, Caucasian children Actually, actually, it was a mixed group of children um, of all different races to rate a neutral image, a neutral stimuli, um, followed by photos of either black boys, black girls, or white girls, white boys, as good or bad. All children, the general trend was shown to rate the neutral image followed by black boys the lowest, followed by black girls, white boys, then white girls. Yeah, playing on that like idea of innocence. Right. With the, with the white girls, especially. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and I think a lot of that comes is from our media. White girls mm. are shown as princesses, as perfect, white Absolutely. boys as superheroes, yeah. you know? And so I think it does trickle down from that. And so, and so now we know, like, okay, there is science behind these children possessing biases, acting on them at a preschool age. And Jessica Sullivan, who's also a psychologist, has shown that parents don't necessarily understand that children are capable of processing race and discrimination at such young ages. And so when parents were asked to take a survey, they responded that they think five years old is a good age to start conversations about race. But we know from research that children at six months old can start developing preferences wow. and process race. So that is a four and a half year delay in a conversation. Yeah. yeah. And so that got me thinking, like, 
what resources will parents because it it's a trip it's a tricky subject to go about as a parent like how do I talk to an infant a toddler um my child in general about race if necessarily I don't even know how to go about it you know and so I wanted to dissect children's literature I think it's the most palatable resource for parents to present to their child I think that it is relatively accessible and it's really good because it can be a bi-directional tool for both parents and children yeah that makes me think of uh, books like Ibramic's Kendi's Anti-Racist Baby and things like that that have been super popular lately. Well, I'm actually going to discuss that book because <laughs> no way. Okay. <laughs> like you, it has gained so much traction in 2020 when it got released among mm-hmm. everything that was happening um, in the summertime um, regarding the Black Lives Matter movement, the death of the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And so I wanted to look at anti-racist baby with some of the criteria that I had learned was important to evaluate a child's book for um, efficacy, for um, sending good messages, etc. So um, essentially the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, has encouraged parents to evaluate um, books, characters, themes, settings, and illustrations um, before giving them to a children or to a child because all of those can send either explicit or implicit messages about um, about people of different races, backgrounds, um, lifestyles. And some more in-depth questions to ask are do quote-unquote good characters reflect a variety of backgrounds our values being explored instead of preached, which I think is a really interesting ah. message um, or theme rather to evaluate from a parent or caregiver's point of view. Mm-hmm. And then do the illustrations avoid reinforcing um, societal stereotypes? So ah. I wanted to use that um, set of criteria and evaluate Ibram X. Kendi's anti-racist baby um, with illustrations by Ashley Lukashevsky, um, because this has gained a lot of recognition. And I knew from Ibram X. Kendi's background that this is incredibly informed and valuable, but I just wanted to go through those set of criteria to see, okay, why does it check the box? And so immediately, if one were to open up the pages of the, this book, they would see that the characters and illustrations are incredibly inclusive. Not only are there people from all races, all backgrounds, but also sexualities, abilities. There are kids in wheelchairs. There are all different body sizes, self-expressions with tattoos or piercings. So automatically I was like, I I love this book so far because it's not just a white, blonde hair, blue-eyed girl like myself being portrayed in a book. (laughs) And so, the other thing so that checked the box over characters and illustrations Mm -hmm. and then talking about themes and settings this book is actually a step-by-step guide of how to be an anti-racist baby so there is like a number one followed by um, a step like open your eyes to all skin colors followed by um 
followed by like a rhyming passage of what it means <laughs> to do that or like what's the benefit of doing that. And so there are nine steps in this book. And what I appreciate most actually about this book is the last page after the technical book has ended. And it is this whole resource guide written oh, wow. by- that's, um, Oh, that's really detailed. Yes. I'm showing Dante right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see the book. Sorry, y'all can't. <laughs> and, you can go and buy it if you want, though. There yeah, you go. It, and it's it's $9 for this hardcover oh, book. I mean, really? Okay. it's incredibly accessible. And so basically, Ibram X. Kendi has listed um, questions because the this book does not shy away from difficult vocabulary and mm -hmm. concepts. There are words like policy, equity, which a three-year-old probably will not know what that means. Yeah. And so it requires the parent or the caregiver who's reading that book to mm. sit down, pause, and say, this is what this means. And that's so effective because it is requiring the parent to think about race, how to present yeah. the child, and then it requires the child to understand and ask questions. So these questions range from... Um, and I'm reading straight from the book, ask your child, when you imagine a farmer, a teacher, or an astronaut, what do they look like? Stuff yeah. like that. And then um, there's stuff for older children, like, again, straight from the book, challenge the idea that all people are treated the same, um, because as we know, not nearly no one is treated the same in the yeah. United States. But what I love most about this book, and I think how I want to end off my part of this conversation, <laughs> is a quote from his um, book that says, just as we teach our kids to be kind, even before they fully understand what it means to be kind, we should teach our kids to be anti-racist, even before they fully understand what it means to be anti-racist. And I think that's a great testament to, you know, you have to start young. And if anybody who's listening to this wants to find more books like Anti-Racist Baby that have been not only approved, but recommended by scholars of color, people of color, I would check out The Conscious Kid, American Indians in Children's Literature, uh, Latinxes in Kidlit, and uh, We Need Diverse Books. Yeah, I think between our two kind of ideas of research, even if you don't have the the time or the energy or the, the financial resources to find new media to consume, even just re-examining the, the other movies and books that you've read. Like, like how does this, how do these ideas play out in things like Snow White? How, how are the relationships portrayed? How is her innocence connected to her being a young white girl? Exactly. Um, and especially when compared to other figures like the like when the wicked uh when the wicked stepmother transforms into the old witch like how does mm -hmm. her face look uh, her is her nose like crook uh, oh my yes. gosh i forgot the word crook crooked elongated yeah like um, hooked yeah I hooked that's the word hooked <laughs> uh, yeah is, is her nose hooked is is her skin tone darker is her mm -hmm. hair darker is the texture different all of these things really worm their way into our brains and we have to we have to dissect them and pick them apart before we hurt ourselves and other people with our with our words and our actions. 
Absolutely. And I think what's interesting is media is being absorbed by children from such a young age, especially yeah. right now. It's something that parents rely on um, to gain the especially attention the of their child. Exactly. Yeah. To get a second to themselves. And I don't blame them, but mm. it's if we're offering children from such a young age all sorts of media, we have to make sure they are sending great messages like fair messages. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's super important that you went back and evaluated a franchise from which, I mean, everyone who I know, all my friends, we saw that movie mm -hmm. growing up. Yeah. And then- Yeah, like, from a very young age. Exactly. It came out in like 95. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, those messages were still being sent in the 2000s. And mm -hmm. I mean, Toy Story 4 came out, what, two years ago at this point? Yeah, like, yeah. So- and then with me, I didn't necessarily go back and evaluate books that I read, read as a child, but I wanted to look in the future, but both are important. I mean, it, you mm -hmm. told me, hey, like I've heard things about the Skippy John Jones books. Like, oh yeah, I've, I've I, heard things. <laughs> I did some research. I've read I'm things. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't believe mm -hmm. I read all of these. Like, yeah, yeah. So I think it's just a testament that media can either help or it can like devastate um, oh, absolutely. our perceptions on people. And regarding the, I mean, in order for our world to stop seeing so many hate crimes, I mean, regarding mm -hmm. race, regarding sexuality, literally anything, yeah. exactly. We just need to be more cognizant of honestly, everything we do, but a good step is what are we taking in and what are we telling our children to take in? Because I think a lot of people may exempt them from the problem. And of course they are not to blame for any of these atrocities that are going on right now, but mm -hmm. they will grow up to be participants in a society where if they are white, they will benefit from white privilege. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to, from a young age, to tackle the root of the problem and, you know, correct what they're seeing now, correct the messages that they're hearing and just prepare them to be better, um, just better participants in society. Yeah. And even, even beyond kids, um, what, what media are, are you consuming? Like, mm -hmm. like what, what shows are you, what shows are you binge watching during exactly. the pandemic? How do they, how do they portray black people and, and women and gay people and trans people, et cetera. Um, so what media are you consuming? Or if you're an artist or a writer, what are you writing? Yeah. Um, you have to constantly re-examine. I, I mean, I was writing a piece the other day and uh, I wrote a scene with my, my co-writer mm -hmm. and then I realized that we were playing into sexist stereotypes. And I was like, this is my whole area of research. I, should, I should be paying more attention and while I'm writing. So we went back and we edited it and we fixed the problem. Mm -hmm. But the fact that 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 slipped out of my brain just because I'd seen that sort of sex the stereotype against the the dichotomy of the smart woman and the dumb woman, mm -hmm. like like it's not about the dichotomy. It's about the relationship between these people and and how much they they love each other um in in their friendship and things like that. They didn't happen to be lesbians at that point, but <laughs> I I want to take a moment to acknowledge that lesbians also exist. Yes. <laughs> 
and, and not all women are just friends. Um, uh, just friends is also a phrase that I have some issue with, but, <laughs> but it's like taking the time to re-examine those things. And, right. and even like during the writing process, you can think yourself to be the most anti-racist, feminist, woke person, and it will right. still come out and you have to catch it. And what I love about going back to Ibram X. Kendi's book, Anti-Racist Baby, the the last step, or actually, sorry, step seven, yeah. is confess when being racist. Mm. Because, confess, I mean, yeah. and the thing is, too, if you are anti-racist, you can still have racist actions. And I think absolutely, yeah. it, it's so important to acknowledge those actions and like catch it and acknowledge and take responsibility take responsibility exactly and so I think just by putting in the effort to be um more just like cognizant of the media of your actions even if you mess up it's okay if you mess up as long as you take responsibility and move on in a positive direction and so I think that like you said, with your example of catching yourself in that writing mistake. But if, if, if you find yourself stereotyping someone, you need to acknowledge that and say, why am I doing that? And yeah, so <laughs> I think we, I think both of our topics are just so interesting because it shows the responsibility that people have in, in, their everyday actions, including watching television, watching movies, yeah. watching books. Even the simplest things. So to end off, is there anything you want to challenge your audience or ask your audience? Yeah, I, I think just whenever you are watching TV or movies, especially ones that you watched as a kid, mm-hmm not just accepting that it was a product of its time. Um, thinking, how, how did this affect me? Um, did, I, t- did I steal any gestures or phrases from this movie? And, and how did it affect me in even more subtle ways? Do I, do I model any of this in my own life? Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a long and and hard journey, but even just having it on the back burner will, will give you so much more insight into yourself and and how you think about other people and yourself. Yeah. And for me, I would just ask parents, caregivers, educators, siblings to just be more intentional about um, creating safe spaces to have dialogue regarding race for children at a young age and um, to put in effort to find books um, or TV shows that will correct these biases that will showcase um, a character of color in a good light and (laughs) just challenge all prior stereotypes. and I think Read that by, candy. exactly. <laughs> and I think that by doing so, we can take a step in the right direction and hope to see progress in the future. All right. It was so great chatting right. with you. <laughs> yeah, you too. All right. Thank you so much for watching our first and as of right now, only episode of Case Study. I'm Dante Gonzalez. 
Credit for the intro and outro music goes to Trev Lewis from Hag Films. Thank you so much for watching and have a fantastic week.